I think it's really important to be able to focus on both the students as humans and watch their experience through that lens, but also for the people we work with or supervise. I have strived over the years to really see myself not just as a supervisor, but really a mentor to our staff and to really make sure that they're well trained and prepared for their current roles, but have conversations about what's next. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of World Stride's inaugural podcast, Changing Lives Through Education Abroad, a weekly series of conversation with international education's most interesting thought leaders, as well as discussions on emerging trends, best practices, and innovation happening in our field. I'm your host, Zach McKinnis, Senior Director of Campus Partnerships with World Strides, and I'm so excited about today's episode. Today, we'll be talking about approaches to leadership in international education with a dear and old friend. I'm so excited to be joined by Orlina Boteva. Orlina is the Director of International Programs at the University of Maine. Orlina is currently pursuing her PhD in higher education at the University of Maine and holds master's degrees in both higher education administration and history. She holds a bachelor's degree from the American University of Bulgaria. You do not want to miss this episode. Orlina, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for the invitation, Zach. It's my pleasure to talk to you today. I'm excited for this conversation. Um, could you start by describing your current role at the University of Maine to us? I started as the study abroad advisor, stepped up to assistant director. So study abroad is very dear to my heart and had the opportunity to step up to the director role about seven years ago. Our office is a what I would describe as a comprehensive um, office. So we do recruitment, international undergraduate admission, all of the immigration work for the university. We administer uh, the study abroad program and also recently English as a second language. What we call our intensive English institute is now under our umbrella. And of course, we do all of the cross-cultural programming for our campus. So it's a little bit of everything, which has been a really great way to develop new skills and learn more about international education as a field. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, you are you are Lena, one of the first people in the field that I met when I was first starting out about 15 years ago. So we, we kind of came up together. Uh, it's been a pleasure to, to watch you kind of grow and evolve over time and, and, and become a, a true leader in our field. Oh, thank you so much. Can you share a little bit about the uh, education abroad ecosystem at the University of Maine? We offer a number of exchange programs. We work with a number of partner programs. And we have a small portfolio of faculty-led, which we call travel study courses on our campus. And we do a little bit of everything. And my hope for the program is that we'll continue growing as we're rebounding from the pandemic. And as anybody who is in Ed Abroad knows, whether you send a few students or, or hundreds of students, the work is, the type of work that you're doing is the same, right? The scope of work is the same, just the volume is different. Even though our program is relatively small uh, compared to some of the larger land grants, uh, it really allows our team to develop very robust skills. So shifting our, our conversation a little bit here, I'd, I'd love to, to pick your brain about leadership. And so, Orlina, how has your approach to leadership evolved over time? Thank you, Zach. I think that's a very hard question because we rarely stop to pause about and reflect about our own personal styles in leadership. It's much easier to read about leadership, observe others' leadership styles, but it really takes some metacognition <laughs> to be able to analyze how we lead personally. So um, I was 
I should have asked my staff how they would describe my leadership style. I think that will be an interesting um, way to kind of assess and get feedback, which I do occasionally, but I have not done in the last few weeks. I would describe myself as a relational leader, and I think that is common for women from what I read in the research literature. The work gets done, but the people matter more. And so I think it's really important to be able to focus on both the students as humans and watch their experience through that lens, but also for the people we work with or supervise. I have strived over the years to really see myself not just as a supervisor, but really a mentor to our staff and to really make sure that they're well-trained and prepared for their current roles, but have conversations about what's next, where, what are your personal goals, where do you want to go, um, and how can I be part of that journey for you? Relational leadership. I love that. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And so we'd love to ask your advice here on the next question. What are some ways that anyone can find avenues to lead or lead, no matter their role or level in an organization? Well, I'll start with the making the point that none of us are born as leaders. And I talk to my kids often about that and how do, how does one develop leadership skills and in any area of school or work or personal family life. I learn a lot about leadership by watching and observing others. And I think we do that naturally, whether we're conscious of it or not. All of us can tell stories about uh, good supervisors and bad supervisors, good campus leaders and people who weren't really inspirational or motivational for us individually. So the way I have always looked at the roles I have uh, had the privilege to occupy in international education is, well, what are the opportunities in the space, right? We could be leaders in entry-level jobs where we are really working with our peer advisors in that space. We, When we step up to mid-management roles, uh, we could also impact our colleagues in that space and the teams that we work on. And as we step up to more leadership roles as directors or deans or chairs or whatever the role may be, we're also really becoming campus leaders at that in that space. And then looking at the regional or national level through our professional organizations, whatever those may be, and there are quite a few, right, um, starting with NAFSA, which is our big organization, but also thinking of other spaces. I know you're very involved with BASA, which is the Boston area study abroad association, I think is the title, right? But there's so many layers and circles that we could uh, we could be leaders also in community organizations. I was recently involved and I still am involved with a local uh, children's international association that has six years of, of work in that space. And so I wanted to also look in my local community and see how I can be part of um, of the work that's happening in that. And so to kind of sum up all of this is that I think it's really important to think of leadership as existing at every level, to also observe and watch and ask for tips and feedback as well. I just had a conversation with one of my colleagues this week about even if you have just started in a position, how can you manage up? I think that's a leadership style to groom from the very beginning of not just expecting the people around you or those who supervise you to come up with goals and tasks, but really to reach up and say, okay, I think this is what needs to be done. And I see these opportunities. I want to offer this vignette here for one of my doctoral classes. I had to do an oral history project. And at first I thought, oh my goodness, this is going to be so tedious and boring. But I, I looked around and I said, well, I'm very curious to learn about international education 
in the decades before I started. So what happened in the 70s, 80s, and 90s? And so I'm on a NAFSA committee called the Leadership Development Committee, and one of the members is Peter Briggs, who is a retired person. And Peter is such a wonderful individual, and he's so humble because I have spent the last year and a few months working on this committee with him, and I didn't really know what his role is or what he has done. And so I thought, well, let me find somebody with experience. So I asked him to interview him, and I just completed two hours of interviews with him. And I learned so much through Peter, and he talked a lot about the importance of not just doing work within our teams and institutionally, but really to look at the field in general and our communities. He reflected a lot in the work he has done with NAFSA over the years. He received a big lifetime award for that. But also he talked a lot about working in his local community through advocacy, writing op-eds, uh, during you know the the months and years following 9/11, as the campus community was changing at um, Michigan State at the time, and I walked away from these conversations with him, really, really seeing some further opportunities of what I can do. Right, like I feel like that's really important to to think of all of these layers and circles that we occupy, and how we could how we could make a difference, but also continue uh, developing our skills and knowledge. Yeah, that's so fabulously said. Like the, the the many different circles in which we can find paths to, to leadership. So thank you for sharing that. Erlina, what would you tell your younger self as you embarked on the professional pathway uh, to international education and becoming a director of international programs? Well, when I was in high school, I really wanted to be a director of international programs. That didn't happen, right? <laughs> Not always think, oh, I'll be an abroad advisor. I'll be this and this and this. It's so interesting. This past fall, I had the opportunity to bring one of our faculty members to my alma mater, the American University in Bulgaria. And I took a photo of the same steps where I took a photo as an 18-year-old and shared it with my family. I said, look at me. I feel like I'm 18 again. And it's very, it's a very iconic space on our campus. And so that was really fun. And so as I was walking around our building um, of my alma mater, I remembered being 18 and coming to a reception with my parents at the time and meeting Karen Bosayas, who was the director of um, international programs of the University of Maine. And she became a supervisor and mentor over the years. And so I remember meeting her there. And that's the first time I got exposed that this exists as a career and as a profession. And Karen was so wonderful to mentor me over the years. Uh, She was such a great role model. And so again, I didn't really start in the space, but my mother had trained to be a teacher in the sciences. And uh, she ended up being in this citywide office for events and programming of my hometown, which was 100,000 people, one of the largest cities in Bulgaria, where I'm from. And I grew up in, you know, visiting events and hanging out with her and her colleagues. And I observed how much pleasure and joy they derive from working with students, uh, primarily K-12 students um, in that space. Um, and then she also worked in residential life for a while um, uh, in her later career and became a special ed teacher later on. So she was always an educator. And I think that had a very, very strong influence on my aspirations of where I wanted to go. And so looking back, I think those were the influences. But I had another mentor, Jill Rasmussen, who was the director of residential life in um my alma mater. And she said, you know, life is not linear. None of us really think of, I want to get from point A to point Z, but it's very much a curvy road. So you may take this detour and that detour and you learn so much in the process. So shout out to Jill, who was also a very big influence on me. And she was the one and Lydia Kreis, who was um, the Dean of Students at the American University, who said, 
hey, you should really look at student affairs. You're a great work-study student. You ask bigger questions. You know, you should really consider this degree in higher education. Um, and so that's how I ended up in this field um, through all of these women that influenced me. And, and I think what I would tell myself going back is to really look at the big picture and, and see these detours as really enriching. And I, I had multiple uh, detours uh, through my educational pathway and also career pathway. But also, I would tell my younger self not to get caught up in the red tape and the rules. And I think as a younger professional, I was much more focused on, well, this is the rule, this is the policy, and we need to follow it very black and white. And I think that's, you know, when you think of, of development within a professional how professionals think of their personal decision-making and development. There are multiple student theories around that of how you move from very black and white, um, very delineated ways of thinking to then become to a much more nuanced understanding of the work and institutions and, and education and higher education. And I think now I'm much more about uh, looking at the bigger picture, looking at nuances of a particular experience, and also seeing myself as a change maker. So somebody created these policies, I could be the one to change policies. Um, and that's a really big aha moment for me, which happened in the last few years to say, wait a minute, you know, if I don't like a policy or I don't agree with a policy, let's find out who wrote it. Who are the people that really can approve a change to the policy and work with them to write a proposal and articulate uh, why that's important. So, yeah, no, I love that. Uh, you know, really just leaning into the curves and the detours in our, in our, in our lives and in our careers and, and, and finding the, finding things that we can take away from them and apply them to our work. I think that's very intentional and very well said. You mentioned earlier, you know, your approach to leadership is relational and, you know, as we know, relationships are very complex and, but navigating them well is inherent in good leadership. How do you approach the intersection of relationships and positional power? And what interpersonal qualities do you lean on for success? So I'll start again with the story of my mom. She um, had the unpleasant experience of getting laid off a few times. And I observed how her relationships with her coworkers changed during those transitions and, and how teams really fractured. So people that really work well together fractured. And so I think that was a really important lesson for me to reflect as I became a professional and especially when I started leading teams of how do you build a team and how do you make a team, team very resilient so a team can weather crises of all sorts of things and the pandemic was our most recent crisis but all sorts of things have all sorts of um, things can happen so my approach to relationships and uh, how to navigate them is really to focus on the people first. So we come to work as professionals. We have lives and interests and hobbies outside of work. And so for me, it's very important to think of how, how the intersection between our professional selves and personal selves really connects and how we could be our better selves in this space. So I see all of my colleagues and the students that I work with as humans first. And for me, it's very important to connect on that personal level and then focus on work. So I really uh, think of structuring my one-on-one -on -one meetings with the people I supervise to say, okay, how are you doing today? Tell me what's going on. Because we know that what's happening in our personal lives can deeply, deeply, deeply impact how we show up to work. And we know from organizational management that it's a lot easier to retain a trained individual who has institutional knowledge and history, who has built-in relationships um, and really knows the work rather than to go out, hire new people and especially train them. Training is so critical, um, especially when you think about abroad or international education. It takes us years to really develop deep expertise in our fields. 
So that really shapes my philosophy around how do you navigate relationships? I would say that we have to take a really long-term approach to our teams and our relationships within the teams. And we really need to invest in training our individuals and provide continuous professional development. And I just don't mean that by you have to go to a conference. I really think of these relationships that you're really investing personal time in training somebody. You celebrate milestones for the team. You you empower empower the people that serve on a team to really reach out horizontally and vertically within the organization and outside to continue developing and learning. And to your second part of your question, what interpersonal qualities do I utilize for success? I always try to be a better listener. As a Bulgarian, I tend to be eager to speak and interrupt. And I think that's partly my personality, but also I think there's a cultural element in that as well. So I really try to develop my listening skills. And funnily enough, taking doctoral classes and learning how to do qualitative research and how to interview people, I have found to be really fundamental in helping me to be better at asking questions, more thoughtful, more open-ended questions, not leading questions, but also to really have the patience to listen. Some of those skills don't come naturally to us. And so for me, that has been a really important skill to develop, to be a better listener. The other thing I want to highlight is to develop facilitation skills. I was lucky enough at our um, institution to have several really valuable uh, training opportunities. One of them was the facilitation facilitator training that I completed a few years ago. And it had elements of project work, how to lead projects, how to facilitate meetings. And I would encourage everybody to consider that. that I've utilized that in teaching uh, the first year seminar, leading our staff meetings, but also in larger uh, committees and other work that I've done. And then the other interpersonal quality that I've developed and I've leaned on a lot is I'm a naturally outgoing and gregarious person. Not all all of us are. Really thinking of how I'm developing campus campus networks. Gil Merckx, who is a very uh, seasoned professional in international education, nods to him because in a public forum that I attended, he spoke about really uh, developing your campus network. So you know who does what and when you need something done, they can recognize who you are and understand the importance of your of your request, but also um, really recognizing that, especially as you climb the institutional ladder, that a lot of the work happens on the ground floor by administrative assistants and um, and ground level, like entry level advisor positions, right? And being able to know those people individually so you could train and affect change and work with them to resolve student issues. I often pick up the phone, call somebody and have a personal chat for a few minutes and say, hey, this student has this issue. Can you help me resolve it? And and I do the same when people call me. And I think that's so important. In terms of, of other interpersonal skills, this is how you and I got onto the leadership conversation, I think a few months ago when we had dinner together, was the importance of national networks. And so I see national networks as part of my interpersonal skills development and interpersonal relationship development because Many of the ideas that I have gathered and I have been implement, been able to implement in my work have come from peers across the country. Even this morning, we had a conversation with the directors of Ed Abroad in the New England area. And uh, shout out to Leo, Leo at the University of New Hampshire, who said, hey, we do this. And I said, OK, I'll email you and ask you more about that because we've needed this. And I have struggle to to get the support in place for our students who go to this particular program um, and location. So these are just a few little examples, but 
I find interpersonal skills to be so important in international education. Uh, to kind of summarize my answer, uh, as international educators, we work with people. We work for people, our students. We work across countries and borders. Um, and so developing communication skills, facilitation skills, relationship networks, um, and all sorts of other you know, skills in this space, I think is so, so, so important. I love everything that you just said. You know, I, I, I think I, sh- I share similar challenges in, a, in an approach to yours. You know, I'm a native Texan and I, I'm loud and I'm extroverted, but I'm gregarious. So I've really had to work on, on trying to listen more than I speak uh, over my career, right? And it's something that I talk with my team about. Uh, so I, I, you know, listen, listen first, listen and then respond rather than, rather than the other way around. So, so thank you for sharing that. So, Orlina, what keeps you present in your international education journey as you persist forward through the day-to-day responsibilities of managing and leading a large office with a lot going on? Well, I really like what I do. Um, I often say this, and I say it very genuinely, that when I wake up in the morning, I look forward to going to work because, you know, my personal identity of being an international student who studied abroad in the U.S. really intersects with the work that we do. Um, and so it's easy for me to do work because it doesn't feel like it's work, right? That's where my passion passion lies. What's helpful is that I can often go back and think of those moments that were very pivotal for me um, in my journey of the first day on campus, of taking that first flight abroad, of how I manage relationships with people back at home, whether they were friends or parents, how do you communicate how overwhelming U.S. education was, how overwhelming it was to be a college student. And so those personal experiences I really leverage in my work to come across as authentic and relatable to the students I work with. And really to say, you know, I understand your grandparent is very sick. I was there. You know, I had to be very far away or, you know, with the students who just had their earthquake in Turkey, Um, I'm from the same region and we've had multiple earthquakes. And so I could say, you know, I understand your fear when you're so far away and your family's home that, you know, that feeling of of helplessness and, and, and constant worry, it's really there. So because I know to some extent what the students are experiencing, I find that that makes the work um, very, very easy in terms of leading an office. You know, it's my seventh year and I feel like I finally know what I'm doing. (laughs) So I want to say that, you know, I have this uh, philosophy that I share with my team. And as we train, as we hire and train new people, I say, you need three years in your job. You really need to give yourself three years. The first year you learn the basics. The second year you feel like you kind of you're getting there, especially in that abroad, right? There's so much to learn. You take a full academic year just to kind of understand the the life cycle of the work, all of these little nitty-gritty nitty details when you get into the weeds of how you advise for this program and what's that visa like, and but what about health and safety? So it takes a whole year, and the second year is really solidifying those skills, starting to think a little bit beyond the like, okay, I know how to do this now. What else? What are my gaps? What are my remaining gaps? And then the third year, I always tell my staff, like, this is the year when I expect that you start innovating. You know, don't push to innovate early, but if you have ideas, definitely put them forward. That fresh eye is really important. So international education is so dynamic. And if you're in a role where you are working in the different um, knowledge communities where, you know, this week there is more in Ed Abroad, next week there is more in ISSS, not only are you developing cross-sectional skills in the the field, but 
it's never, there's never a dull moment. There's always something new to learn and do. And so several of the projects that I recently worked on, and I was such a nerd in that space, I was very curious how education abroad boards are structured. I was thinking, well, I'm sitting on one, what else is out there? And so you and I had a conversation around that, but that really allowed me to connect with six different individuals across the country and say, I know you're serving on a board, tell me about the structure of that board. And then I produced a report. Nobody asked me to do that, but I thought, hey, I'm curious about it. I think I can provide some value to the board that I serve on in terms of just giving you know, a, a, a snapshot of what's happening in the industry. And that conversation is still developing, right? I'm uh, You're helping me connect with somebody else to learn more about yet one more. So I'm learning, but I'm also impacting the knowledge of others. This whole life, lifelong journey, career journey of constantly learning, it's very dynamic, right? No year is the same in the office. And, and so last year, the provost asked me to lead our interna- intensive English institute. And I am a non-native speaker, I learned English, but I don't have no training in pedagogy around it. And so I did a big crash course in what does it look like for IPs. I did a lot of uh, research through professional organizations and talking to colleagues about what are you seeing in your institution, what is happening nationally. Um, and I walked away with so much knowledge. And then I also saw that the pipeline of learners is really shifting. So I started meeting with people around the state to say, well, what needs do we have in our state? Like what's happening with this population? And so we developed several new projects where we have a free community English for our people right in our town that need language assistance, but don't really have the time or needs to be in an intensive or the funds to be in an intensive program. And then the other thing that came out is we're really looking at um, refugee and asylees in our state and how they have language needs. So that particular project led to a whole other project on looking at immigrant immigration to the state of Maine and workforce development. And so it's so interesting, right? Being curious intellectually, I think, in our field can really bring more knowledge, but also has connected me to all sorts of other people across the state um, in fields outside of education, um, higher education, outside of, of international education. And and I find it extremely intellectually stimulating to be in a space like this. But also, as I'm doing my doctoral program, I'm connecting you know, the literature with what I'm seeing in the field. And also, I'm working on projects. If I have a question, I'll, you know, this semester, I'm writing about the history of land grants and international students. I don't know a lot about that. So that project I can immediately use to look at our institutional data over the decades for for incoming international students and see how those national patterns have reflected or not reflected in our population that can really inform our recruitment strategy moving forward and so forth. So intellectual curiosity is so, so important not to be stale. I love where I live. Uh, My family loves being in Maine. It's such a great quality of life. So the question that I've asked myself for the last few years is, if I love where I am, how can I prevent myself from getting stale and bored? And let me tell you, I have found so many new projects to engage my <laughs> engage my uh, time and, and continue learning. So I think that's very important to do, but also to really serve as a role model for others on our team and uh, in our in our sphere of influence, people that we interact with to, to really have this approach to kind of lifelong learning. I love a lot of what you just said. And, you know, uh, I, there's several in, uh, insights that I just wrote down. Um, but there's one thing that I wanted to pick upon in particular. You know, I've been having a lot of conversations internally with folks on my team about career pathways, right? And I, I love your three-year framing, right? You know, the first year is you're learning the basics, how to do the job. 
The second year is when you can kind of run things on your own without as much support from a supervisor, right? And it's that third year where you should have that space to innovate. I love setting that expectation. So that's really fabulous, really enough. Um, so speaking of, I know you are a active member of NAFSA's Leadership Development Committee. What should our listeners know about the LDC and the resources it provides? So I got onto the LDC because I talked to one of my mentors, shout out to Amir Rezer at Babson College, who is uh, currently the uh, president, I think that's his role, of the uh, Association for International Educators, AIEA, Association of International Education Administrators. And so I often talk to him. He has really helped me from uh, job searching for my first job all the way through the years um, with tips and advice and so forth. So he's an amazing person to talk to. Um, And his team really recognizes um, his work last year. Uh, He got nominated for an award, I think, through the region. And his team just raved about him. And I would fully concur with them. So he, I had asked him, I said, hey, I want to you know, do something in the national space with NAFSA. What should I consider? And so he said, well, why don't you look at one of the committees? And I said, wow, that looks like a lot of work. Um, he said, well, no, if you're just a member at large at one of the, one of the KCs or um, the Leadership Development Committee or the Member Engagement Committee, that is actually very doable. And it's a confined task and a time frame. So you could try it for one or two year, well, two, it's a two-year commitment for the LDC, and then assess what you want to do next. So the Leadership Development Committee is a very interesting committee. I have not been aware of it over the years. I know all about the Education Abroad community. Um, I've utilized the uh, International Educator Leadership One, the Teaching Learning Scholarship One, but I had not heard about the Leadership Development Committee as much. So What the committee is tasked with is to groom and source new leaders for the KC. So our primary role is to recruit a diverse cohort of uh, chair elects to select them for the different committees and then to liaise with the current chairs and and past chairs to make sure that we're looking at the next uh, the next cohort of uh, rising stars um, in the field. This is important to look at the Leadership Development Committee. What really helped me is as we interview these chair-elect candidates, I was able to see, well, what professional development people have done. Um, how are they how are they interviewing in the space? You know, what can I learn from them? But the networking has been tremendous. I mean, I really got to meet some of the, the biggest shakers and movers of our industry uh, that this year are the chair elects and will be the chairs of the KCs next year. And I learned so much more about NASA. That has been really tremendous. So it gives you a, a cross-sectional view of the organization, of all of the, all of the uh, knowledge community. So it's really, really great. And, and interestingly enough, I met a candidate who talked about having a professional development plan to the chair elect role for almost a five, 10 year period, somebody had mentored that person and really saying, okay, you're in this role now, but what are you going to do next? And what are you going to do next? And what are you going to do next? And not just in terms of career projection of actual positions, but really in terms of volunteer work and really articulating the importance of being a volunteer leader in our professional um, association. Um, So that was really, really important for me to see because I utilized that. But also I thought, wait, well, that's a very important coaching mechanism for supervisors to do with their teams internally within the institution to really groom people to aspire to volunteer roles, understand the importance of volunteer roles, and also to continue developing their own skills. 
So one might say that the only constant in our field over the past few years has been change. How can we lead through change successfully? And what type of mindset do you keep when faced with shifting circumstances? I would describe our field as a field of constant change. And that's that's the same, you know, that's true for international education, that's true for higher education in the US um, and globally too. So the way I think of change is that we work in a changing landscape daily and weekly and monthly. The difference is, are you anticipating the change or are you caught by surprise? And so a few years ago, I had a conversation with my supervisor at the time. And I said, now that I finally got used to who is doing what, boom, we're changing it. And he said, it was very eye-opening. He said, higher education is a state of constant change. That means people who occupy roles, but also the landscape, the national landscape, um, what our institutions look like, right? Everything's changing all the time. And that really shifted my mindset because I said, okay, if change is constant, then how do I understand it? anticipate it and welcome it versus fear it and dread it. So the pandemic was one extreme example for us, right? How many of us were really prepared for a pandemic environment? Very few, if any. But being able to talk to our teams and prepare the teams to really anticipate drastic changes at any moment and say, we as a team can endure it. Uh, we're resilient, we're strong, we have the skills. Let's all talk and um, and brainstorm how we could manage the change. Um, so we're controlling the the work that we're doing rather than waiting for the work to control us and overwhelm us. So that that is how I approach it. I think that's a really helpful mindset to think personally and professionally about how we are aging as individuals. And I'll share another tangent. I like to listen to podcasts when I cook or walk. Um, and a few um, months ago, I listened to a podcast about a new book that had come out at the time called Women Rowing North by Mary Pfeiffer, who is a very famous sociologist. And it, her research is about women who are retired in their 60s and 70s and how their life is shifting in that age group. So I'm a little bit far away from that milestone yet in my, my life and career. But it was so interesting to listen to the stories that she talked about of how as women were entering this new stage in their life, they were able to almost reimagine themselves. They were picking up new hobbies. They were learning new languages. They were traveling in different places and spaces. They were developing new relationships. And so that was a time when I said, well, what am I going to do with my life now? And, and one of the big things that was on my wish list and I had not been able to do is to really go back into the education sphere and start a PhD program. I've always wanted to do it. I just never found the immediate time. And I said, well, I am my own change agent, how, you know, I can control my, my life and destiny here. So let's, let's figure out how this happens. Um, and I think that's so important for our teams, you know, to say, okay, if I'm aspiring to change um, the work that I do in international education or the work that I'm doing on campus, for example, I'm in this area, but I want to do this, or I want to grow professionally within the hierarchy, then let's have these conversations within our teams and say, okay, what are the skills and knowledge you need for the next step? And how can we use the next year or two to really prepare you so when there's an opening on campus or if there's an opening at another organization, you have a very strong candidacy for that. So I do not fear change. I do not fear our team members leaving us. And several of them have really thanked me over the years for how we've managed those transitions. So when somebody comes to me and says, you know, I'm really thinking of applying for a new job, I say, congratulations. How can I support you? How can I write a letter of recommendation? Let's start talking about a transition plan and for you to document the work that you do and how you do it. So if you're if you are successful and you get that job, we're prepared 
to refill that position and train the new person. And I feel like that takes a load off because going to a supervisor to say, hey, I'm looking, um, it's really difficult. And then the other thing that I try to do with people as we train is to say, we're so lucky to have you on our team. Welcome. If you ever at any point feel like you need to be challenged or you're ready for the next chapter in your life, please come talk to me and I'm happy to coach and mentor you through that transition. And that takes the fear out of saying I have bigger aspirations or my situation has changed and I need to move states, right? So I think that's a very important framing and that also impacts team relationships. It also impacts supervisor-supervisee relationships. And I find that that's my way, I wouldn't say controlling change, but really creating a very normalized environment that change happens for our teams and to also take the fear factor out of it. Yeah, really, you know, being intentional about it, normalizing change. You know, I often think, Orlina, you know, you, you and I talk, often talk about, uh, you know, trends at the macro level that are impacting our work and, and higher education more broadly. And you and I actually presented together in the fall of 2019 about megatrends um, impacting the future of international education. And spoiler alert, we missed one big megatrend that was headed our way. And, and so just, you know, working with our teams to, to encourage them not to fear change, but really to embrace change and, and use change to our advantage. So thank you for sharing that. So just one final question for you, my friend, before we wrap up here. As you think about the future of, uh, of higher education and, and international ed, what makes you hopeful? I'm hopeful that we'll have a new cohort of, of leaders who are motivated and are diverse individuals who can bring new skills and knowledge to our field. Recently, I was talking to a friend, to a friend of mine who said that as the person did their job search, they interviewed in a lot of teams that were very much middle-aged white women. And what a turnoff it was for the person uh, who was job searching and was of a non-white race identity. And that was very eye-opening for me. Our team is half foreign-born, half U.S.-born. We speak close to 10 languages on our team of 10. Now we're 13, actually. I have to probably do a new recount. Um, And we bring a variety of different experiences, but also we have racial and ethnic diversity in our team. And so for me, this was very eye-opening that what I'm experiencing at the University of Maine is different than what's happening um, in our field. So I think as we collectively work to diversify the students who are entering at abroad specifically, but also diversifying the students that are coming into higher education in the U.S. from different countries, and we're seeing a shift there, I believe that if we do our work right, we will see diverse diversification of the people who are coming into international education as professionals. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, Orlina Botova, thank you very much for your, for your time today and for sharing your expertise with us. Thanks so much for inviting me, Zach. Absolutely. And, and to our listeners, thank you so much for joining this episode of Changing Lives Through Education Abroad. I'm your host, Zach McInnes, and please make sure to join us next week as we continue to explore topic around international education and exchange. Please subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. Let's create life-changing moments together.